Hi, I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes. A true crime podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so today we have a really big case in store for all of you today. We will be discussing Ed Kemper, or more lovingly known as the co-ed killer. So Ed Kemper is one of the creepiest and twisted, in my opinion, serial killers, as well as one of the most self-aware killers. Um, He was interviewed by the FBI when the word serial killer wasn't even a thing yet. Um, He is also the inspiration uh, for all of the film buffs who are listening for Buffalo Bill from the movie Silence of the Lambs. I love that movie. I know, it's a great movie. It's so good. Yeah, so um, he was the inspiration behind the serial killer in that film. Um, And so for this show, I wanted to just let you know that instead of focusing on Kemper's victims, we're going to be focusing on Kemper himself. Now, I know that we want to give as much attention to his victims as possible because they are the true people that need Mm -hmm. the attention. Um, But Kemper and his case meant a lot to the world of FBI profiling. And I think it's really important that we understand who Kemper is, where he came from, in order for us to get into the profiling conversation that we'll have a little bit later because it's really interesting and we're going to dive a little bit into criminal psychology and the birth of the behavioral science unit um, at Quantico. So it's very exciting. Yeah, this would be like 20 episodes if we talked in depth about all of his murders as if like we do in other episodes. Mm -hmm. But so it's not that we're being insensitive. No. We understand that these are awful and disgusting crimes, but it's just really, really cool the yes. ways in which the this case played into the way we treat crime and criminal investigations today. Absolutely. And especially when it comes to the huge serial killer cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was when they were investigating him that they came up with the word serial killer, right? Yeah. So um, for the word serial killer, uh, I have a little bit of information on that because I think it's really interesting. Um, The term serial killer is said to have been coined by FBI agent Robert Ressler, who um, had heard crimes of mass murder sectioned off into series, hence the term serial. Um, I didn't know that the word serial killer didn't exist until uh, 1974 when Rustler uh, came up with it until I watched Mindhunter, which is actually a show on Netflix that focuses on, well, the first season focuses on Ed Kemper and um, what he, how he works with the FBI. Um, and they wrongfully said that the main character, Agent Holden, came up with the name serial killer, but actually it was Robert Rustler. Um, he came with up with it, like I said, in 1974. Wait, sorry. I don't inter- interrupt you, but yeah, in Mindhunter, it's not the main guy who comes up with it. Is it the girl? I couldn't no, decide. No, no. It's the guy. It's the second main guy. It's like the older one. Oh, it's the one. older yeah. guy. Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like the one who is supposed to be portraying Robert Ressler. And then the main guy supposed to be, you know, air quotes, yeah, John yeah. Douglas. John Douglas, who they both worked together, um, to create these, this series of interviews with, um, killers in the United States. Um, so anyway, so yes. So Rustler's the one who came up with it, who is portrayed under a different name in Mindhunter. Yeah, I don't know why they which did I don't, that. They yeah, I don't just... know why they did that either, because I was like, just use their name. Yeah. It's you the know? exact same story. Yeah, and they used Ed Kemper's real name. I know. And so I was like, okay. And an uncanny lookalike. Yeah. Oh my God. 
that guy looks exactly like him. I know. It's so weird. Okay, anyway, if you would like to watch Mindhunter, I highly recommend it. Um, but so the really cool thing about the serial killer name is that it was came up in 1974, like I've said like six times, um, when a whole bunch of murders were just happening. So the Zodiac <laughs> was happening in the 60s, but they haven't obviously caught him yet. We have Ted Bundy, who actually committed his first known murder in January of 1974, Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, first murdered oh, in January 1974. I know, he's so scary. Um, John Wayne Gacy killed the second of his 34 victims in January 1974. Um, Carol Eugene Watts murdered the first of an estimated 90 victims in 1974. Who is that? I don't know. I've never heard I've of never her. I've never heard of them before either. And 90 victims? 90 victims, yes. And she's a female killer? Um, it just says Carol. I'm assuming that she's a female. I can click on this link. Hold on <laughs> wow, that's yeah. crazy. Oh, no, it's a dude. Oh, it is? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so crazy because mm-hmm. I've actually never heard, heard yeah, his name. I've, yeah. Um, and then, par, uh, oh my God, Paul John Knowles went mm-hmm. on a killing spree murdering 18 people in 1974. So this year it was actually called the Year of Fear by the Washington Examiner. So a whole bunch of murders were happening. So it kind of makes sense that the birth of the name Serial Killer came about this year. Um, And if anybody doesn't know much about Wrestler, you should totally look him up. He's really nifty. If we had a podcast... (laughs) Yeah, he's nifty. Um, If we had a podcast about, like, law enforcement, this would be the guy to talk about. He's so cool. Um, He got to work with, like, some of the most notorious serial killers, like... John Wayne Gacy and even Jeffrey Dahmer, which and is Charles Manson and Charles Manson and John Douglas is really cool too. Yes, John Douglas is also cool. They worked together to do all of those recordings. Um, so yeah, so that's just sort of like the beginning. It's just like the tip of the iceberg it's so of everything. Much I know it's just a lot I'm of overwhelmed. stuff, <laughs> and I know most of the stuff. I know, right? So it's really cool, really interesting, and um, we'll get we'll dive into it a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, that's just sort of. Where we go. So before we jump into Ed Kemper's story, I just wanted to let every know, everyone know that you can actually watch his taped interviews and they're super creepy. Ooh, yeah. Um, I'll tag a few in our sources um, underneath the description if anybody wants to go and watch them. He's really weird. Um, he breaks down a lot of his encounters, not only with his victims, but with people who could potentially have been his victims. It's really interesting to watch. And the way that he just describes it, he's so, I mean, the best way to say it is self-aware. Like he isn't phased by any of it at all. And he describes everything. So disclaimer, it is a little gruesome. I was kind of put off by some of it. I had to stop watching halfway through one of the really? longer videos. I did. And Claire is not put off by no, anything. No, not yeah. really. And so I just, I had to stop watching it because I was watching it alone in the dark and, you know. And, well, that um, wasn't a good idea. I know. That's scary. Um, <laughs> so I I had to stop watching it for a second and just kind of like compose myself and be like, okay, this person is in prison. This person is in prison. <laughs> in prison. And um, yeah, and then I rewatched the rest of it. But it's it's pretty intense. Um, so I can't really say that the videos are fascinating because he is talking about murder victims. So for me, I got pretty horrified about how nonchalant he was and all that stuff. But if you like human psychology and you like true crime, the Kemper tapes are something you may want to check out. They're 
they're there. <laughs> you can see them. <laughs> they're there. They're there for your entertainment. I don't know what they are. They're there for your viewing pleasure, if you will. Um, so before the co-ed killings is where we're going to start off in his life. Um, so Edmund Kemper, we'll call him Ed, was born <laughs> on December 18th. Wow, I said that like a total theater person. Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll call, call him, him Ed. Ed. <laughs> <laughs> like an opening monologue, Jesus. Okay, Ed Kemper was born on December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but it seems like a lot of serial killers are born in California. I don't know what that means, but there you go. Um, he was a really smart kid, and when he was little, he actually used to torture animals, which... I present the Exhibit A of the makings of a serial killer. The McDonald McDonald Triad. triad. (laughs) So the McDonald Triad is... Wow, that was good. We didn't plan that. I know. It was very good. good. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Um, So for those of you who don't know what the McDonald Triad is, um, the triad was invented in 1963. It was a study that was published, and it had three points to making an aggressive killer for like... Just like three glaring issues that pop up in a lot of different things to look out yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, so the first one is torture of animals. Um, the second is setting fires, and then the third is wetting the bed after the age of five. Um, unfortunately, the triad has some glaring issues. Um, for example, when the study was published in 1963, not enough testing had been done to prove that these set parameters were actual indicators towards violence. And that was further proven on studies of aggressive versus non-aggressive inmates. And only about 45% of aggressive candidates came up with all three Plus, controlling a study like this is hard to do. So overall, the triad isn't the best when coming to profiling, but it's super creepy. And if I had to bet which trait most of the candidates had, because three-fourths had at least two of them, it had to be torturing animals. Because you see that in almost every serial killer. It's a really thematic thing. And I think that one, and that was the most disturbing, at least in my perspective. I don't know. What's your like most disturbing element of the McDonald triad in your opinion, Randy? Tell me about this. I think the torturing animals is also the most disturbing one just because I feel like adults would struggle with having to do that. So I can't imagine a kid doing it. Like I've never hunted or anything like that, but I'm I feel like when people are hunters that when they first start it, they're, they struggle with it too. And that's, there's like a re an explanation for hunting. Right. Kind of. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why people enjoy hunting, but I understand. (laughs) I get the argument that it's like population control. So there's like a reason they're doing it. And so a kid just hurting an animal for fun is, scares me a lot, but also the fire one, because it's not like, playing with matches or anything they're like intentionally committing arson right and that just shows actually maybe that one might be more disturbing to me because that one shows a complete disregard for people and society whereas the torturing animal animal one is like a disregard for that animal but like setting a house on fire or something would 
I mean, I know it doesn't have to be that extreme. No, but, no, but but fires can time, get out of hand. They can. <laughs> and no, I I agree with you. Um, to that aspect, just like the disrespect for society and for property, mm-hmm. it's just like a total lack. Like if you're willing to do that, what yeah. else are you gonna be willing to do later in life? At the same time, though, I don't think that we. I agree that the McDonald Triad could be an indicator. You could, if you see these things in a kid, maybe keep your eye on them. But I think it could be very, very dangerous to look at a kid and profile them into a serial killer when they have not indicated in any way that they're going to be a serial killer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that could get out of hand real quick. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I don't know. I have a little brother and he had a BB gun and he shot some squirrels. And I don't know if that's like considered the torture of animals or whatever. But I think having all three is probably better than just like singling out a kid that only has one of those problems. Right. But at the same time, I think child abuse is a much more prevalent indicator of possible psychological damage and then the lead up into violence as an adult. Or any form of childhood torture and or sorry, not torture, trauma in general is going to and especially if it's violence related, going to tell you that violence is the way to deal with things. So Yes, absolutely. I can yeah, I think you're right that there's a lot of other things we could look to aside from the McDonald triad. Right. But it's just the most comprehensive study that has been done and about you said indicators. Forty five percent of the violent offenders yeah. had exhibited all three. That's a decent percentage. Yeah. But again, it's only it's not half. So it's less than half of the candidates. So that's not a it's it's a decent percentage, but at the same time, and this was only the aggressive candidates, mm-hmm. and then the non-aggressive candidates were basically just like the control section. But so wait, were um, the non? I don't know how did like if you read the whole study, but were the non-aggressive candidates still like what were they like drug offenders and robbers and stuff? Yeah, I think okay, so. So, so it was like, just the whole prison population, basically. Yeah, and then they just categorized them into aggressive versus non-aggressive, which I didn't. I also didn't know the parameters for what made. Like you said, an aggressor and not an aggressor, because I don't know if robbery would be considered an aggressive crime because it is like an invasion of something. But anyway, we could get into that. There's a lot of problems with all of the studies that have been done surrounding the triad. And overall, I just don't think it's the best way to judge whether or not a little kid who's like six is going to grow up. And that's why this study that was done with Ed Kemper and all of these other serial killers is really important. And don't worry, friends, we'll talk about it. (laughs) I still, the 45%, I still want to note that I feel like that is significant enough of a percentage, even though it's not a majority, Mm -hmm. to say that there's something to the McDonald triad. Oh, absolutely. And the claims still exist and the triad is still... It's just not a full proof. Yeah, it's just not full proof. Um, That's interesting because I kind of thought that it was foolproof before you said that. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I also thought it was, but I was doing some research and the McDonald triad always comes up when you talk about serial killers. And so when I was researching for the Ed Kemper stuff, it just was like McDonald triad. And then it said in his profile, he tortured animals. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So I dug a little deeper and that's what I found. So with that, um, Kemper's mom... Claire Nell, which is just the weirdest name, um, actually did abuse him when he was a child. 
She was an alcoholic and would sometimes lock Kemper in the basement for long periods of time, which only fueled Kemper's resentment of her. His parents divorced in uh, 1957, and that's when Kemper and his mom, and I think he has two sisters, all moved to Montana, and his dad stayed in California. So, of course, um, Kemper didn't like living in Montana. He wasn't a huge fan of his mom. He abu- like Clearly, she, she's awful. Yeah, she abused him That's as so a child. Sad. I know, and I can only imagine what it would be like to be locked in a dark basement for hours and hours with an alcoholic mother not really coming in and checking and it's on a you. It's basement, so there's not sunlight. It's yeah, like no. pitch dark. That's yeah. terrifying. And, you know, light and warmth is a huge thing when it comes to, like, happiness. You just mm-hmm. need to be exposed to light every once in a while. Um, and so he took out his anger on... Animals, like I said, um, including the family cat, and he would have violent dreams about killing his mother uh, quite I mean, often. That's understandable, honestly. Right. I don't mean, hurt cats. No, or your mom. <laughs> like, no, don't hurt your mom. But I'm just saying, if she abuses you and locks you in a basement, you don't. I can understand why you're fantasizing about it. In yeah, your dreams. and you can totally not like her if she's doing that. Don't that's murder her, fine. but don't murder her. No excuses. You can think about it, though. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, So when he was 14, um, I have a few sources say that he actually ran away and went back to California. And other sources say that he just moved in back with his dad in California for a time. Um, I'm more inclined to think that he just moved because Ed kind of seems like this sort of kid that just gets like walked all over all the time. And his rage is sort of like building. So Mm -hmm. I don't think the pinnacle of his anger would have come at that age, and then it would be, I'm going to run away from my home in Montana all the way to California. So that's like a big thing, and I just don't think he would have done that. So I'm pretty sure he like moved back in with his dad because his mom didn't like him. Um, so he lives with his dad, and that doesn't really work out. And his mom doesn't want him, uh, which I'm sure super sucks because... I would hate it if my mom didn't want me to come home. <laughs> I mean, that's that's got to hurt your confidence. Absolutely. You, the person who created you doesn't want you. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Talk about abandonment issues. So his mom sends him to his grandparents' house in North Fork, California. So this is when Ed completely loses it. So on August 27th, 1964, at the age of 15, Ed shoots and kills his grandmother in their home. Then, when his grandfather gets home, he kills him by his car and hides the body. When asked about why he did it, Kemper says to police that he killed his grandmother because he wanted to, and I quote, see what it felt like. And he then said he killed his grandfather because he didn't want him to come home and see that his wife has been murdered. And Mm. I wrote down right next to that, how thoughtful. (laughs) Right. That's so considerate of you, Ed. Yeah, wow. Great little kid Looking out for Grandpa. Yeah, damn. It's awful. It's like so backwards, I can't. The logic's absolutely not there. Okay, Um, (laughs) so after he commits these crimes, he calls his mom and tells her everything, to which his mom calls the Santa Cruz police, who come and take custody of Kemper and conduct a variety of tests that proves that he has paranoid schizophrenia and, I'm sure, a whole bunch of other stuff that they can't prove because behavioral analysis isn't a thing yet. Well, that explains it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, So... 
Kemper was eventually sent to, oh, I'm going to say this so wrong, um, Addis... <laughs> you got it, girl. Oh, man. Just go for um, it. Atascadero State Hospital. Oh, God, I'm oh. so white. Um, a maximum... <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> it's very Spanish, this Wait, name. let me see it, let me see it. Atascadero. Atascadero, thank you. Um, State Hospital, a maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. Wow. Mm-hmm. So wait, they had um, a facility for mentally ill convicts prior to the behavioral science unit? They did, and it's probably because there were like a million serial killers in California. Oh, how <laughs> yeah, so progressive. You know. I know, so great. Um, so I just want you to guess how long he serves for the murder of his grandparents, as well as just understanding that he has paranoid schizophrenia, which he has been diagnosed with mm-hmm. by the police, violent tendencies, which I'm sure he's very open about, um, along with an extremely high IQ. When he's an adult, his IQ is about 131, so I can only imagine what it would be when he's a kid. And he has a very little understanding of human emotion. So all of those things mixed together and then layered in with the recent murder of his grandparents, Oh, which boy. he totally like confessed to openly without even breaking a sweat. Like, well, how long do you think he served for, for that? In prison or in a, in a mental health facility? Um, so he didn't serve. He didn't go to prison. He just went to the mentally ill. And it's like a prison. Right. right. It's just like it's I, like they're yeah. separating out those mm-hmm. people. Um, well, I know he's a juvenile and you I know you can't uh, give a juvenile a, an extremely harsh sentence. So I'm going to say three years. A little bit more than that. Five years. Six yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's released released after six years. That's, uh, that's kind of short. Yeah. It's a it's a little short. Um, but again, like you had he's pointed out, he's a yeah. juvenile. And, um, you know, juveniles get released early um, because they're juveniles. Um, and he's so he's released in 1969 when he's 21 years old and his criminal record is expunged. So that's great. I honestly think it would have been better, despite the fact that he is a 15-year-old boy. He's, like, killing people already. And people he... His family members. And he's not even phased by it. No. No reason at all. Just kind of, like, killed my grandparents, called my mom, told her about it, and then she freaked out, obviously. So um, it's just a little short for the crime at hand. I wish he would have... Well, that was gonna be so gross. I wish that he wouldn't. I wish that he would have. <laughs> I know you're like I mean, struggling to like tell me what it is. I was gonna say I wish he would have murdered his mom instead of his grandma, but then I realized how <laughs> awful that sounded. I would have had more sympathy if he had murdered his abuser than his right. grandma, who was just trying to help him out. Right. Absolutely. And I don't know what the situation was like at his grandparents' house. Um, I'm sure it was. I mean, he didn't ever... There's nothing to indicate yeah, it was bad. Right. There was nothing to indicate that they were ever abusive in any way. He was living there to get away from his abuser. Mm-hmm. So it's just a lot of different things. Um, but anyway, so he's released when he's 21. His criminal record is expunged. And they sent him back to his abusive mother after the counselors at this mentally ill prison told them not to. They did it anyway. Well, that's a good idea. That's a good way to <laughs> I know, right? To stop a criminal from 
committing crimes. Yeah, send take them, them back. back to their the worst place ever that yeah. turned them into a criminal, probably. Exactly. Put them back into an abusive home. That's, That's so really smart. smart. Anyway. Good job. Yeah. So his mom had actually moved to Santa Cruz, California for a job at the university. So they're back living in California. And that concludes part one of the Ed Kemper story. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. It's really interesting to talk about this case. So I'm super excited to talk about his um, actual co-ed murders that take place um, over the span of only a year. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, so tune into part two to listen to the rest of the N. Kemper case. And we'll see you there. We won't see you. But we'll, <laughs> we'll know you're know there. We'll know you're there. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>